So there I was. I was in Florida. Someone blessed me. Go to Disney World during Christmas time. And so it wasn't so long ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm like a little nervous about it because, you know, I'm a preacher and, you know, going to the belly of the beast of the Disney with your children, you know, you want to be careful of what's going to happen. Especially, you don't want to like give Christmas over to Disney. And so, So I'm at Disney World, and I'm a little nervous because, you know, I'm, it's, I'm at the belly of the beast, not Beauty and the Beast. I'm like, you know, and I'm, I'm there, and I'm like with my family, and I'm like, oh, what are they going to do? And But my wife, my precious wife's like, I want to see the Christmas orchestra uh, presentation. I'm like, okay. So, like, now we're going to go listen to the, the you know, violins and the tubas and the trumpets. And I wasn't really excited for it. To be honest, I was not looking forward to it. And then it started. It was incredible. Like, it was like every instrument known to man. Like the drums, the piccolo, the bassoon, the flute. Uh, instruments I couldn't even name. All of them were just singing all of their favorite Christmas carols. And my boys are screaming and singing along like Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid an Egg. Like everything. It was all building to like, you know, all of my favorite Christmas songs were saying. And then a choir comes out of nowhere and they surprise us. And then it's like a candlelight service. And it's all, it's awesome. It was just 10 out of 10, Epcot. Great job. And so, but, but, but then it happened. The presenter of the, the event stops. And like to my own eyes, I couldn't believe it because he goes, in the gospel of Luke, Chapter 1, I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> so then I'm really nervous. I'm like, what is Disney going to say? But they said, he will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And I kid you not, they break into Handel's Messiah. Now, if you know music, you know, king of kings forever and ever. And the whole audience is just going, and, like, and all of a sudden, like, the high part, the lady's like, hallelujah, hallelujah. And it's just, like, just booming throughout, and it's going through Epcot. And he shall reign. And it's just booming, and everyone's paying attention. And it's the craziest thing I've ever seen happen. I've seen a lot of crazy things happen, street preaching. But all of these people, like, I, I kid you not, 10% of the people just go, am I at church? I don't know. I'm standing up. And in the middle of an orchestra, they stand up during Handel's Messiah, and it literally inspires the entire audience to stand up, all proclaiming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation at this place, and they're all proclaiming the King of Kings. There's a majesty to this story. We get too familiar with it. There is a majesty to the story of the infinite Becoming an infant. 
for the king of the cosmos coming and dwelling in human form as a baby, as a child. We are far too familiar with the majesty that is the story of Christmas. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and let's read again to Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 33. He, speaking of Jesus, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there will be no end. There's no end to the kingdom. That's a great comfort to me, knowing Jesus is king, and that's not going to change. That's a great security for us, knowing that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and, the, and that's never going to change. For years and eternity in the future, Christ is in charge. That's a great comfort for me, knowing who he is and what he's done, that of his kingdom there will be no end. When I I think about Jesus as king, I'm reminded of what those wise men, those three kings from the east came and said. They said something so interesting, so profound. They said this, where is he born king of the Jews. You notice that? Where is he born king of the Jews? No one made Jesus king. He was born king. And I I tell you this morning, no one makes Jesus Lord. He is Lord. You, You do not accept him. It's whether he accepts you. See how that turns the tables on it? We have this individualized Christianity where we think we're the one who receives Jesus. We're the one who accepts Jesus. And it makes us, if you understand the power structure of language, it puts us as the deciding factor. It's his kingdom. He's the king. Whether he accepts you or he receives you, it's his kingdom. Where is he born king of the Jews? I've been looking at like global events and lately the whole world is obsessed with what you would call soccer and what the world would call football. Now don't be confused Dallas Cowboys fans, this is not American football. I know you're looking for any opportunity to talk about football. I literally see six or seven football shirts. Literally there were football fights in the lobby in first service and they were trying to get me to be a Raiders fan and they got me a Raiders shirt and they put it on Kyle, it's like this thing. But Americans, there's a whole world outside of the United States in which everyone is obsessed with football. There's a World Cup going on right now. I was in Mexico a week or two ago, and the whole everyone was freaking out about football, soccer. You know, it gets confusing. And I, I saw different nations. And in a sense, in all honesty, they're worshiping. They're passionately exalting and and celebrating and shouting and hooping and hollering. hollering. They look like Pentecostals on methamphetamine. I mean, they're just, they're just going after it. And I'm like, isn't this interesting that this is like a microcosm of what's coming? If you know what's happening in, in 
in the history of mankind, all roads are leading to one event. All things are pointing to one single event. It is the day of days. It is the day of the Lord. As, as sure as we're celebrating Christmas, there is a day in which we're celebrating His coming. And the Bible calls that the day of the Lord. In which every tribe, tongue, and nation... The Japanese, the Ethiopian, the African, the South American, the Mexican, every tribe, tongue, and nation, the Bible says, will shout and worship. In Revelation in the fifth chapter, it says, I looked and behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, he has prevailed to loose the scrolls. And I looked and behold, the lamb as though it had been slain. And there a multitude that no man can number from every tribe, tongue, and nation, those blood-bought sons and daughters of the king, worshiping the king. Everything's moving to that event. And yes, we celebrate Christmas as, as a testimony to his coming. But his first coming secures his second. Because Christ Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And he will be worshipped. So, yeah, the world's going crazy with soccer. I just think they're getting warmed up. I think I honestly believe all those giant amphitheaters, all those, you know, all of those giant uh, auditoriums and sports complexes were just built to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because he is great and the Lord of glory. I've been doing, if you know me personally, I've been doing a lot of building lately. I've been privilege to build my own home, so I thought I'd build something. Is that okay? Okay. You know, for, it's funny, one of the number one uh, Christmas gifts of the year for a dad, do you know what it is? It's a stud finder. <laughs> and honey, if you're, if you're dating a man and he needs a stud finder, I'm sorry, date somebody else. <laughs> we got some studs on stage. So these are eight-foot studs. And I'm going to try to do this. All right. So I've been privileged to build my home lately. And I've been using a, isn't technology amazing? So we're going to build some, y'all want to build some corners? We'll build some walls? All right, let's do it. Let's start with a standard three stud corner. This is also called a king stud. It's named, actually, it's a Christmas thing. Because there's three studs, and it's kind of named after the three kings, so they call it a king stud. It's for the corner, so let's put one together. Adjust the end. Don't worry, I won't shoot you. Now that, that's a corner stud. It's a king stud. It's got three kings in there. You know this can hold thousands of pounds of weight? Three bound together. Imagine that. can hold thousands of pounds. That's what your corner houses are made out of. Now, I talked to an engineer. The tradesmen don't like this because it's hard to drill through. So they came up with an idea. You know what it's called? A California corner. Let's build one.
there's a California corner. Notice it's hollow. So your choice, do you want a king stud or do you want a California corner? Well, you better be sure. The king stud is heavier. It's more costly. But it's stronger and it stood the test of time. There's a war for our hearts. There's a war for our affections. The kingdom of God is costly. It's easy come, easy go, right? But the kingdom, Christ's kingdom. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. I see this easy peasy religion where you think everything's just going to go on like it was. Jesus is the king. He's the king, folks. That means he determines how you live your life. As disciples of Christ, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Do you look at the sayings of Jesus as commands or suggestions? Is he the king? He must be the king over all. He's the king over all. Not, you can't have Jesus as 98% king over your life. Does that work? What if I told you I was 98% faithful to my wife? Does that work? So faithfulness is 100%. Loyalty is 100%. And I see people, they have this misunderstanding regarding Jesus. They love the Savior part, don't they? Oh, I do too. We love the concept of Savior. We love the concept of Jesus forgiving our sins and heaven and eternity with God. But then we totally don't want to talk about repentance, holiness, surrender, kingship, the lordship of Jesus. You know, Savior, that concept's important. It's mentioned 37 times in the Bible. That's important that Jesus is the Savior. Matthew chapter 121, the Christmas verse. And you, the angel said, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The concept of salvation and Savior is so important to the Christian faith. How many times is it mentioned? 37 times. The phrase Lord is mentioned 7,836 times. What do you think God's trying to get across to you? But how we flock to the concept of salvation, how we flock that we need a Savior, oh, save me, save me, save me, but don't tell me what to do. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. I'm so afraid that we have a one-sided gospel. And in reality, a one-sided gospel is a false gospel. And then we speak about the second coming of Christ. Jesus says that the, the great sign of the end times will be religious deception. False deceptions. False Christs shall arise, leading many people astray. Now, we always think of that being an actual figure. What, it's a, what if it's a false Christ in your mind that you created and worshipped? 
Idolatry is basically when you construct an image of God that's unworthy of him. It was the greatest threat in the Old Testament. Over and over again, the people of God were plagued with the concept of idolatry. That's why God made it the number one command. You shall not create any other gods. The problem then is the problem now. Yes, we don't create gods of wood or gold or silver, but we create an image of Jesus that's totally unworthy of him. We make him Savior, but not Lord. We make him Redeemer, but not King. We speak of his love, but never his holiness. We speak of his blessing in his hand, but we don't fear him and we don't respect him. The Bible says, by all those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. To treat what is holy as though it was common, that is to profane. And we would never profane the name of the Lord. We would, we would never take his name uh, and, and misabuse it. But to profane is to treat what is holy as though it was common. There's a lopsided understanding of a Christ uh, that is solely meant to fix your needs, fix your heart, save your soul, never knowing that he himself is king. And all things belong to him by noble right. People say things like, accept Jesus, receive Jesus. It's whether he accepts or he receives us. He is the king. King David says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means everything belongs to God by noble right. And why is Jesus qualified to be king over the earth? I just want to read through the Psalms because David says it best. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You are great and do wondrous things for you alone are God. He goes on to say in Psalm 89, God is greatly to be feared in the assemblies of the saints. In Psalms 95, for the Lord is the great God above all the other gods. Psalms 145, great is the Lord and great to be praised for his greatness is unsearchable. The king is great. And does anybody have any other ideas about who's more qualified to run your life? Because that's the reasoning and the rationale behind it. To me, he is most qualified to run and rule my life. We need to get back to this concept of the kingship of Jesus. It's partially because we have abandoned ourselves from our Jewish roots. Every day, three times a day, the Jews pray, Baruch Atah Adonai Ha'olam, Melech Ha'olam. That means, blessed is the Lord God, King of the universe. That God is king of the universe. Do we see God as king? Now, we have such a Western, individualized, libertarian concept of freedom. That's high language. It just basically means we love our individual freedoms. We have no idea of what it's like to live under a kingship. But it is the prayer of heaven that the atmosphere and kingdom of heaven would come to earth. That means that what the kings wants is what we want. What the king wills is what we will. Jesus says, when you pray, that the kingdom of heaven would be the kingdom of earth, that it would be one and the same. 
That means as ministers and, and servants of Jesus, we, we are ambassadors of the kingship. We bring kingdom where we walk. This is so important for you to understand. That Jesus, he lived kingdom on the earth. He was a walking representation of the attitude of heaven, the atmosphere of heaven. And he wants this for us. He looks at his disciples and says, greater things will you do now that I go to be with my father. When, he, when the disciples said, Jesus, master, teach us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. I'm reminded of where I was many years ago. I got to see the birth of the king. That special place on the earth in the nativity in, in Bethlehem. There's a real place, it's a grotto under the ground, under the church of the nativity. Has anyone been there in Bethlehem to see the physical place where God wrapped himself in humanity? Where the king came and dwelled as a baby. It's in a place called Bethlehem. And it was at this place, if you notice when you go into the place, the, the church of the nativity... There's a three-foot door. Everyone has to bow underneath it. Everyone has to kneel. And that's what we learn from the great story of Christmas. Is that the king of the cosmos, the king of kings, came in the form of humility. There's the one who spoke the world into existence, who created the universe with his mouth. He spoke stars and he spoke neutrons and, and protons and all of the, the matter of the universe. He just spoke it out with a great, just, just the speaking of his mouth came forth all of the majesty of the Milky Way. And yet that king of the cosmos came and wrapped himself in human form and was like a baby. The infinite became an infant and then laid in a manger amongst hay and dung and animals? See, that's what we learn about his first coming, his humility. His kindness and compassion to the poor. That he would not forsake his people. That he identifies with the lowly and with the humble and the contrite of heart. That's what we learn from his second coming. What do you think we're going to learn from his coming now? With his first coming, we learn his humility. With his second coming, we will learn his power. And just as the religious people did not recognize him at his first coming, I've got news for you. Most of us will miss it when he comes again. He's not going to come in the way that you think that he's going to come. He's going to come in power as a king. He's going to come as a king of kings and lord of lords. I'm afraid most of us are going to miss it because we have an understanding of Jesus. We've created a Jesus in our mind and he's savior and he's friend and, and, he's, and he meets our needs and he provides for us and he answers our prayers. But what will you do when the king comes? The Bible says that literally when Jesus returns, it's the day of separation. It's the day of judgment. It is the day of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. 
It says that the strong men, the mighty men of the earth, think of the strongest guy you know. The most powerful guy you know, the most proudful, arrogant, the most strongest person you know. It says on that day, the strong men of the earth hide themselves and they cover their heads in the rocks and they say, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the day of his judgment has come and who can even stand up? I'm afraid we're going to misunderstand the power and majesty of his coming. It literally says when Christ returns, he's covered in the blood of his enemies. Does that sound like your gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Does that sound like a Christmas carol? I'm afraid we're going to miss it because we are holding up a misrepresentation of who he is. Because we have neglected the counsel of the word of God. And we are suffering from the sin of idolatry. We are worshiping a Jesus not found in the scriptures. We must look to the Holy Scriptures to give us an accurate picture of who Jesus is. Not a lopsided, not a one-sided gospel. Not just forgiveness without repentance. Not just Savior without Lord. Not just health without holiness. We must preach and follow the full counsel of God. It is both the kindness and severity of of the Lord that we must understand. He is great, but I have great comfort for us. He is also good. He is humble, but he is also holy. And by those who draw near to me, I must be regarded of holy. The Bible describes him as, as, as we talked about, as Handel's Messiah so eloquently puts Handel's Messiah says this, reading the three songs of Revelation found in the 19th chapter, the 11th chapter, and again in the 16th verse of the 19th chapter. And I heard, as it were, the voice of the great multitude, as the sound of many waters. And it said, in the sound of many thunderings, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The angel goes on and says, the seventh angel sounded. And there were the sound of loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world hath become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And finally he says, And on his robe and on his thigh were a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you stand with me? There's one thing I want us to understand this morning. Is that when Christ came the first time, he came in humility. But when he comes again, it will be in great power. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it because you're expecting a representation of Jesus to come. That's not found in the scriptures. But you got it from culture. Or you got it from the church. Or you got it from your friends. But I counsel you today, look to the scriptures. Look to the scriptures. 
on how the Holy Spirit inspired men to reveal how Christ shall return. I think of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who created the cosmos and all of the galaxies and the stars and the universe. And He is that great King of Kings. But is He the King of your conscience? When we think about the macro view and all the might and power of God, but what about the personal, the quiet, the alone time? When it's just you and God. I counsel you, do not resist the voice of the Holy Spirit which brings conviction which brings correction submit to the king the king of the cosmos the king of our conscience Lord Jesus all around the room Lord we don't make you king you are king and we surrender. You are king by noble right. You are the most qualified to rule our lives, to reign over us. And we submit ourselves to your authority and to your kingship. We submit ourselves to you, Jesus.